0: Welcome in, everybody, to the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great, Chip. You know, on Wednesday, we finally are going to be able to see Steve Sarkeesian face-to-face for the first time that we will have seen any Texas football coach face-to-face since February of 2020. So I'm excited for that. How are you doing?
0: I mean, how crazy does that sound? The guy was introduced on January 2nd, and it's almost the end of May. We're going into Memorial Day weekend, and we still haven't been face to face with the head coach because of the kooky, crazy uh, COVID 19 pandemic. And so, yes, I'm excited. I'm excited. To see Sark up close and personal, and and listen to what he has to say talking to the Houston Touchdown Club. Um, he was supposed to talk there a couple weeks ago, but Jake Ellinger's death and memorial service uh, caused them to reschedule this annual event. And so, um, looking forward to hearing from Coach Sarkisian, and it's also a big week. This week because the freshmen who did not enroll early and some of these transfers who Steve Sarkeesian and his staff have been adding to the 21 recruiting class will be arriving on campus, Taylor, to to get um, indoctrinated, welcomed into college life. And that's always a significant moment when these yeah. guys hit the campus.
1: It is. I think Texas has a uh, 15 um, summer enrollees headed to um, I guess, move into campus this starting this weekend. So that's big. You know, I mean, Texas did have a number of early enrollees, you know, that went throughout spring um, spring pr- practice as well, but this is going to be kind of a new wave and it also kind of chip. It's exciting, but it also kind of presents um, some more, you know, questions and more work for a first, you know, the first new head coaching staff and new head coach and everything. Cause these guys haven't been in practice. They haven't been in the playbook as much as the early enrollees have. So, um, you know, it's kind of, they're starting off a little bit behind there, but I think, you know, regardless is exciting time when Texas has some of the talent that they have coming into campus uh, this weekend. So something to well, definitely pay attention to.
0: Yeah. And everyone's going to zero in on, Five-star Jatavian Sanders, the the talented, uh, he could play defense. He could play outside linebacker, defensive end. He's probably gonna start as a as a big receiver, tight end type, kind of like um, you know Jamil Billingsley at Alabama. Maybe I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but it it's going to be fun to see Jatavian Sanders uh, who made some incredible catches as a high school player at, uh, at Denton Ryan, see what he can bring to Sarkeesian's offense as a new weapon. And I know a lot of Texas fans are sitting there going, well, wait a minute, Texas needs help on defense. Like they lost Joseph Osai, but this is what Jatavian Sanders wants. And so I think, and Steve Sarkisian has a history of playing guys on both sides of the ball. He did it with Austin Safarian Jenkins at Washington, who played tight end and was a situational pass rusher. And, and then at USC with Adoree Jackson who played corner and receiver. So Sark is not, this is not new to him. It's not like, Oh. You're blowing my mind here. I don't know what to do. You want to play on both sides of the ball? This guy has done it before. So this will be this will be fun to watch. Everyone's gonna focus in on Jatavian Sanders, but Taylor, I'm I'm interested in this Xavier Worthy, the former Michigan commitment speedster, one of the fastest guys in the 2021 recruiting class. I people are like, oh, you know, could he be Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith? I'm like. Could he just be Reggie Hemphill maps, please? <laughs> yeah. I, could I get some Reggie Hemphill maps? Cause that guy was here and then he was gone. Right. And he made some plays. He had some wiggle. I, I'd take that Taylor. How about you?
1: Yeah. I think that Xavier, we're, especially at that position at the wide receiver position, it's one that, you know, there's, there's definitely talent in the room, but as you know, it's a position of concern a little bit, I think for the Texas offense, just having to, not just break in the new offense, there's a new quarterback coming in too. And there's just so much change going on on the offensive side of the ball, having those type of weapons, these type of speedsters. I mean, um, our guy Mike Roach wrote, you know, an in-depth scouting report over at Horns 24-7 on Tuesday about the Longhorns summer enrollees. And, you know, he said he has verified speed of a 10 500 and 21 four, one, 200 meters. So this is a guy who has the breakaway speed. You know, this isn't a, this is somebody that can be a difference maker. I think if they is utilized properly in the offense. And I think Steve Sarkeesian obviously is the right guy to utilize his talent that he has, especially his speed that he will have. So definitely a huge addition. I agree. I mean, what, what's, what do you think you want from to see from him? Like, do you think he's a guy that is going to be starting or getting early playing time. I mean, what's your take on that?
0: Well, I think, I think Jordan Whittington, Troy O'Meary and Joshua Moore are probably the starters, but there's room, you know, Calvante Dixon, Marcus Washington, those guys need to keep coming on. And if, if Xavier worthy is Reggie Hemphill maps, cause Reggie Hemphill maps had a lot of confidence. He was a dynamic route runner. He wasn't, he didn't love school and that was unfortunate because he ended up leaving Texas almost as fast as he came. But he, he worked his way in and made plays as a freshman. And that's what you want to see. I mean, like the kid Mims from Oklahoma who no one was talking about. And then all of a sudden he's the leading receiver on a team with Theo Weiss and, and, you know, well, Trustin Bridges had some suspension issues, but I mean, he came right in and led them in receiving as a true freshman. You want to see that from from some of your freshman skill guys. You want to you want to see him show flashes like Bijan Robinson did last year that he's going to be a player. That's what I want to see from from Xavier Worthy. I just want to see that he's going to be a guy who can can make a difference because. It's been really weird and slow going for Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith because of injuries. We just haven't seen them explode like I think we're hoping happens this year with Jake Smith as a junior and Jordan Whittington as a sophomore, redshirt freshman or whatever we're calling him. So that's what I want to see. I just want to see some flash. I mean, we finally saw from Calvante Dixon in the final game of the year, the bowl game, that. 70 yard bomb that Casey Thompson hit him with, but we know Sark loves to throw deep. So if there's a guy with take the top off the defense speed, like Xavier worthy, you're talking about his 10, five, 500. Let's see it. Let's see it. I want to see some flashes of it, you know?
1: Yeah. It's been a while, honestly, chip that Texas has had that. I mean, Devin Duvernay was, you know, an explosive type of receiver, but even some of the lead re- leading receivers for Texas, during, you know, Tom Herman's time as the head coach, you know, little Jordan Humphrey wasn't going to blow you away with his speed. Colin Johnson wasn't going to blow you away with their speed. They were really talented receivers, but Texas really kind of has lacked some of that speed on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, look back to 27 or 2018, excuse me, when Deshaun Jamison, who was recruited as a cornerback, played wide receiver because they didn't have necessarily, I think, I think a lot of that had to do with the lack of speed at the position aside from Devin Duvernay. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that Texas has been lacking and, you know, um, I think a lot of Texas fans are kind of keeping an eye on that too, especially in a Steve Sarkeesian offense, because people, you know, the last time they saw Steve Sarkeesian's full offense in an actual game setting was that, you know, national championship game and the offense was, so electric and so that you know really ignited I think Texas fans hope and kind of they were chugging the burnt orange (laughs) kool-aid definitely with him being the head coach coming to Texas calling the offense so now it's just time to kind of prove it and which is something that Texas hasn't really you know done too frequently
0: in the last several years right and that's you know like Marquise Goodwin why why is it so many years between you know playmakers like that I mean, mm-hmm. where, where you have explosive speed and, and stuff that you're seeing at a lot of other schools, um, the Rondell Moore and Jalen Waddell type guys, those are the guys that just uh, Steve Sarkeesian does such a good job of finding a way to get them the football. And we just haven't seen those kinds of playmakers enough at, you know, Daje Johnson, just those burners who – It either didn't, they didn't get the ball enough or something happened, but trouble (laughs) trouble. So let's hope that Xavier worthy is a guy that gives you a little flash. Then Taylor, I think you look at, um, you know, Ishmael Ibrahim, the six foot corner who, you know, had some off the field issues in high school, but is getting, uh, you know, Texas stuck with him. And kid's talented and he's long, you know, he's the kind of guy he's a shocky Brown, Aaron Williams type. Um, I'm not going to put him in their class. I mean, physically, that's what he looks like. And, and so you, you hope that he ends up playing like those guys, but he's a guy that fits the measurables, long arms, long and fast. And so let's see if he, can put it together because Jameer Johnson, who came in as an early enrollee, he's already on the coach's radar as a guy they really like, um, and he he made good use of his spring. So you know Ishmael Ibrahim is a guy I'm I'm looking at, and and then you know some of the others. I think it's going to take a minute. I love Morris Blackwell, the linebacker from Arlington Martin, but he probably needs to. You know, he's going to need a little time, but I think he's going to be a good player. And then probably the guy I'm most excited about is Byron Murphy, who's, you know, a three-star defensive tackle from DeSoto because he's undersized. But guess who else was undersized at defensive tackle? Puna Ford, Ford. Roy Miller, (laughs) right? Those are the guys in in talking to our man, Mike Roach, the the recruiting guru at Horns 24-7. He said that Byron Murphy reminds him of Roy Miller. I'll take that all day. Roy Miller was a monster.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Chip. You know, I think one thing that when I look at, especially the, you know, the freshmen enrollees coming into Texas, I think one situation that really hasn't been talked about a lot, but I think it's something that is going to benefit Steve Sarkeesian and the staff is there's really not a single guy as a coming in as a true freshman that is going to be relied upon to start immediately because there's nobody at the position. There's definitely positions of, you know, concern with the depth. I think, you know, the linebacker, obviously that have one uh, safety is probably another one to kind of, there's not really a proven guy, but the majority of the positions there are very capable, talented players there. So it's always, you know, I know some players want to come in and start right away. I totally get that. But there's not really a situation, in my opinion here, that there's a guy that's coming in as a true freshman who has to be required and ready to go to start game one. And I think that's something that is a huge benefit for Texas right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about Alfred Collins, who had this breakout game in the Alamo Bowl, slowed by a wrist injury in the spring, and Moro Ajomo has a great spring. And now we're talking about Alfred Collins having to fight his way into the starting lineup to, to possibly replace taekwon Graham, so you like it when you don't have to rely on young guys, but it sure is nice when they come in and blow you away and and take a job like Troy O'Meary did last year, but then suffered the torn ACL in fall camp. So we're excited to see what he brings to the table. I, I was doing a, a chat on Horns 24-7 earlier today, and someone asked me, do you think Troy O'Meary will lead the team in touchdown receptions? Mm-hmm. And I could see a scenario where he does not lead the team in receiving, but could lead the team in touchdown receptions because of that six foot three, um, 230 pound frame in the end zone is a guy with a big wingspan who would be a great red zone target. We'll see. I still think Jordan Whittington is the leading receiver on this team, but who knows? And that's, that's the exciting thing for, for Texas right now is you've got some, some guys that are coming in or have not had a chance to show you exactly what they can do, who you think, man, these guys are going to help. Now we got to see if they're going to help because there are plenty of players. We thought, Oh man, this guy, this guy, this guy, and then it it was another guy. Mm -hmm. So it's uh it's a fun time these guys are going to be coming to campus and and getting in you know ingrained with the with the rest of the team as their south end zone football complex the the workers are putting the well they're going to be putting the finishing touches on it into July but it's it's close taylor i saw pictures from the graduation the other night and they lit up that South end zone, that long horn that's in there, lit it up burn orange and that South end zone's looking pretty sweet.
1: Yeah. I was actually going to say, did you see those pictures? If you're listening and you haven't seen those pictures, definitely do a quick Google search to see what it looked like because that looked awesome. I mean, there was a member on Horns 24-7 who actually just posted a thread um, with pictures from graduation and showed it and you know I, I know that that Longhorn and the end zone has been a very substantial talk among uh, some of the Texas haters I think for what it could possibly resemble but it totally looks different. you know the first time we saw it in person was at the spring game totally looks different some of the pictures and the renderings. I could see what people made the jokes about for that longhorn, but seeing it lit up like that. I mean, I think it's, I show, he's probably going to be mad at me for saying this, but I showed my uh, husband who went to Texas A&M and I was like, all right, do you, do you see why it looks totally different? Like from like ground level or like being like there. And he's like, yeah, that looks awesome. And that's an Aggie saying that. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And not like that story being retold or his friends won't, but yeah, I mean that's, I'm so excited to see it all lit up on September 4th, you know, when Texas hosts Louisiana. I think, I hope that's a night game kind of, especially after seeing the way it looked at graduation at nighttime with everything lit up. I mean, that's definitely a sight to see and it's a huge upgrade for Texas. I mean, Crystal Conte is doing the right thing there for sure <laughs> with the facility renovations that he's done.
0: Yeah, yeah. And once you get through the, uh, the south end zone, Uh, and in a new indoor practice facility for football will be next. So that's, that's already, we've reported that, um, for months and months and months, but that's, that's really the next project. And of course we've reported that, um, there's new field turf going in to DKR for this football season. The old one was laid down in, in Oh nine and the shelf life on those field turfs with the rubber pellets are about 10 years. And so uh, Texas will replace that field turf. And Chris Del Conte has said he's a fan of a natural grass field. And, but that he would defer to the football coach and Steve Sarkeesian sounds like, you know, we like to practice on that turf and we want it to always perform on game day. And we don't, we don't want to feel like we can't practice on it in the rain and then have it be all muddy for the game. And, he sounds like a guy who's, hey, I'm, I'm fine with the field turf. So, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. It's not like the Missouri Texas game in 2011 when how many knee injuries were down because that field was so terrible. I mean, my goodness, but I, I understand the appeal of a natural, you know, grass uh, field. It's
0: yeah, you bring up that Missouri game to Fozzie Whitaker and he'll like flinch, you know?
1: Yeah. Who was the other guy, the guy from Missouri too? Who was it now? Yeah, Missouri There's had a guy. Had two a- ACL tears.
0: Kenny Vaccaro had a concussion. I mean, it was, it was bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they don't want that. (laughs) They don't want that. Yeah. So lots of, uh, lots of fun stuff going on. And, and, you know, Taylor, I was, I wrote about the schedules, you know, I'm a big schedule guy. I, Mm -hmm. I, I like make a grid and cross examine who's playing, who, when, like, I always pay attention to who Texas and Oklahoma are playing the week before they play each other, mm-hmm. and last year, Oklahoma had to play Iowa State the week before they played Texas, and Iowa State veteran team Oklahoma was trying to break in a new quarterback. I was like that's upset, yeah, and predicted it before the season didn't didn't predict k State going into Norman and winning and making it two in a row against Oklahoma, but, um, you know, you look at that stuff and, and I look at, um, Texas and they got to go to TCU this year. They got to go to Fort Worth and then turn around and go up to Dallas and play OU and
1: TCU before last year's game too. Yeah. Was that was amazing. a home
0: game. And we thought, yeah. okay, well, it's a home game. And Texas had a 10-point lead in the third quarter against TCU and Fort Worth the year before. Surely they'll clean it up, and they probably should have. I mean, God bless Keontae Ingram. If he doesn't extend the ball on first and goal from the one, um, they probably punch that in and close it out and and move on, but they didn't. And so now they got to go on the road and take on TCU the week before the OU game. That's a problem for Texas it's been a problem for Texas so that's the kind of stuff you know I've been looking at Oklahoma had a really rough draw in big 12 play last year because they're breaking in a new quarterback they you know Kyler Murray was off to the NFL as the number one pick they're breaking in a new quarterback in Spencer Rattler and they had to play the four best defenses in the big 12 to start big 12 play K-State Iowa State, Texas, and TCU. And they went two and two. Yeah. And now Texas is the one that's breaking in a new, you know, first time starter quarterback and has to play. I mean, I'm not going to disrespect Texas Tech because they took them to overtime in Lubbock last year when they were, Texas was a double digit favorite, but they play Texas Tech, but then they play TCU on the road. OU and Oklahoma state back to back to back. That's a lot. Um, I mean, Oklahoma state's been really successful in Austin. They're five and one in their last six trips to Austin and, and Gundy's done a good job of improving their defense. That was a hell of a game in Stillwater last year. So, you know, we talked last week about the trickiness of Louisiana and Arkansas to open with and that road trip to Arkansas. And by the way, make sure you, Check out the flagship podcast interview this week because Houston, Nut. I've gotten so many compliments about this podcast because he's such a good storyteller and he's like Forrest Gump. I mean, his <laughs> he was the last recruit signed at Arkansas by legendary uh, coach Frank Broyles and then was the last coach hired by Broyles before he retired. And his dad played basketball for Adolph Rupp at Kentucky and then transferred to Oklahoma A&M and played for Henry Iba, two of the winningest coaches of all time. And his dad's roommate at Oklahoma State was Eddie Sutton. And Houston Nutt ended up transferring to Oklahoma State as well and ended up being a GA for Jimmy Johnson, the two-time Super Bowl winning coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And and so it's just, he he just goes, uh, it's great storytelling. So check that out. But we talked about that last week. Now this week we're kind of talking about the Big 12 schedule and Oklahoma, it looks favorable. They don't play Iowa State till deep in the schedule. Taylor and it's in Norman this year. Texas plays Iowa State in Ames and Iowa State has nine starters back on defense and I mean they've got everybody back who matters. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah.
1: I mean, Texas has seven straight weeks of games before their first bye week. And as you mentioned, the teams are playing in those seven weeks aren't aren't cupcakes by any means. I mean, the from non conference play to conference play. I mean, this is this is a tough, tough schedule. Uh, the scheduling gods definitely did not look out for Steve Sarkeesian in year one, I'll say that. But yeah, I mean this is going to be, you know, an interesting type of road. Um, I actually looked today, pro football focus, put out some of their uh, ELO rankings based off like win probability and things like that. And they have Oklahoma being a 60% uh, conference champion win probability. And the second closest is Texas and Iowa state tied at 11%. So, you know, I think that when you look at the whole picture, it's, it's, Substantial. I think that scheduling plays a huge role into that chip. And you bring up a really good point about how it's been flipped. You know, it's kind of interesting when, you know, last year, I remember us talking last year on the flagship podcast going into the Texas OU game, we were talking about how if Texas is ever gonna really dominate OU, do it now. You get them early in the season. They're breaking in a new quarterback. I know Lincoln Riley's the quarterback guru, but still when you have a, a freshman taking over in that game, especially you know, take advantage of it when you can. Now the rules are are reversed. You know, I know Casey Thompson's been at the Texas OU game and Hudson Card's been to the Texas OU game. I, I believe he would have traveled. But, I mean, it's different when you play in that atmosphere. So there's no doubt that this this season, you wrote it in the morning brew on Tuesday. This season is shaping up to be, you know, possibly an easy road to the, the college football playoff again for Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, yeah and i look at iowa state's schedule and they open big 12 play i mean they don't they don't neither ou or iowa state have much in the non conference either like ou's mm-hmm. playing at tulane western carolina which is an fcs team and then they play nebraska who had a losing record last year i don't know when nebraska's going to figure it out under scott frost but they haven't yet and then iowa state plays northern iowa they have their yearly um traditional rivalry game with iowa then they're at unlv which is not um, a a program to be reckoned with then they play at baylor and home against kansas two of the easiest teams in my opinion in the big 12 and 21 Then they have a bye then they play at k-state which was falling apart at the end of last season we'll see if they're they've gotten it together Um, so you know, they're five, six games in to me, look like they're six and O with tons of confidence. And that's what you want. You want games under your belt, familiarity, chemistry, corrections made by the time you hit the big boys. So we'll see. You don't want to suffer a bunch of setbacks that eat your confidence and cause guys to go sideways. You want to build confidence. If you have a great team like Texas did in 05, then you can go play at Ohio State and be like, let's go.
1: Yeah. But
0: if you haven't been winning at a super high level and you're trying to figure it out, especially with a first-time starter quarterback, the coaching is going to be really um at a premium in yes. 21.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I'm gonna throw you a a question here, Chip. When Texas goes in to the Oklahoma game, what would you say? Actually, I won't say that when Texas reaches its bye week. So they get through TC, they get through Arkansas, they get through Oklahoma, they get through Oklahoma State, get through Louisiana. Did te- I say Texas Tech? Okay. So what do you think should be considered a successful record for Texas entering that bye week um, after the Oklahoma State? Game?
0: Five and two. Okay. Five and two. Yeah. Like just get through Louisiana and Arkansas. Two and
1: that's
0: such a big step. And then if you go to Fort Worth and Gary Patterson has some great defensive game or whatever, and you lose that one and maybe you somehow scratch out a win against OU, although they're going to be favored because Spencer Rattler's an experienced guy. They got nine starters back on offense, seven back on defense. OU is going to be favored and and you could take a loss there. And then you're hope to me, you're hoping you can somehow scratch out a win in in Ames, but either Ames or West Virginia is a scary game late for Texas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have them going nine and three and hoping that none of those three is, well, I guess you would want it to be either Arkansas or Louisiana if you're, trying to win the big 12, but kind of like Iowa state last year, they lost that game to Louisiana Mm -hmm. and, and we're nine and two going into the big 12 championship with OU and or not nine and two, but whatever, two losses. And, and OU had two losses, but they were both in conference. I mean, people forget Iowa state was the home team in the big 12 championship game Mm -hmm. and And had a record season under Matt Campbell, which Iowa State's been terrible. So, like that was their first conference championship or share of it of the regular season in since in 80 years. Yeah. Which is crazy. But they're good. They're good. They're well coached. And and so I think it's I think it's a man. I I know no one wants to hear this that nine and three would be a, a good year, but I think it might be a good year. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So, all right, Taylor, we got to touch on this Texas baseball team because before we get to love it or leave it, of course, uh, because they ended up taking two of three from West Virginia and TCU slipped up against K-State at K-State and Texas ends up with a share of the Big 12 championship, which Seems appropriate considering Texas won the series in Fort Worth and Texas will be the number one seed in the Big 12 tournament this week. And David Pierce is named Big 12 Coach of the Year. Uh, deservedly so, I think. Ty Madden, Big 12 Pitcher of the Year. Although, I mean, he's, he's had a really good year. But my goodness, Tristan Stevens and, and even Pete Hansen here lately have been Unbelievable. But ty Madden, um, good for him, he gets that honor and and then you know the all big twelve team comes out and how about how about Mitchell Daly, the freshman at second base who's leading the team and hitting i I asked David Pierce today about um you know his emergence and and has it been a surprise and and he's like, yeah, like we knew he was pretty good, but we didn't think he was going to be like that. And, and so that's a, that's a great story. I mean, think of all the freshmen who are contributing Taylor for this team, because you got Mitchell Daly, you've got Tanner Witt, uh, who's been one of their best middle relievers. You got Aaron Nixon, the closer um, Lucas Gordon, the lefty who's showing you some stuff. And, um, those guys have all been big time. And then if you throw red shirt, freshman Pete Hansen in there, there's a lot of young talent that is contributing at a high level to this baseball team, which is really exciting because that's the nucleus of your program. And if they can get that culture of winning and then start passing it on my man, Dan Neal, a contributor to horns 24 seven said winning can become a habit as much as losing can become a habit. Yeah. You want to build it into your culture and Texas fans know this from the first decade of the two thousands and Augie Garrido and all his, you know, two national championships runner up for another. But once you get that going, that culture of winning and it's expected all the time, that's when the magic happens.
1: Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, you you hit it right there with Augie Garrido, you know, in the early 2000s. I mean, um, I knew a number of Texas baseball players when I was at school at Texas and never once did you hear those guys go into games talking about, you know, oh, we may lose this one like it kind of, you know, and then compare it to what. During the Charlie Strong era at Texas and late in Mac Brown era at Texas, it was almost like a here we go again. You know, there was not that culture. And that's so key in every sport. But I especially think in baseball, Chip, you know, I think that it's such a mental game. And, you know, there's a reason why people go in a slump, you know, those type of things. It's a it's a legitimate issue. And once you start kind of beating yourself mentally in the game of baseball, it's really hard to get out of it. I mean, I witnessed that with my oldest brother, honestly, when he was, he was a first round draft pick and I witnessed it, you know, he got injured and it was just like, Oh no, you know, and he didn't make it to the majors. You know, he stayed in the minor leagues as a first round, you know, number 18, overall draft pick. It's such a mental game. And I'm not saying he's like a head case or anything like that. He's pretty, well. he got
0: drafted by the Too. Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah, the that organization time. wasn't great too, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's so it's so crucial in a lot of sports. But I think especially in games like baseball, where there's so much relying, especially on certain positions like the pitchers, you know, and all of that. I mean, it's just something that is so important to start building into the the program. I know Texas in 2019 struggled, you know, um, and David Pierce there, but like you can't just take one season and think. He doesn't have that winning culture. I think we've seen it and they've, they've outperformed a lot of times, more times than not when, than they've underperformed in my opinion, under his watch. And he, he and his assistant coaches honestly deserve a lot of credit for them.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at the team right now and the reason I'm, I love Pete Hansen is because he attacks both sides of the plate and he doesn't struggle. He's a lefty. He doesn't struggle with righties. Whereas Ty Madden does struggle as a right-hander. He does struggle with lefties and that's been an issue. It got him a little bit in this series with West Virginia, made a couple of mistakes, gave up some home runs. They end up losing game one and, and you're going, huh? Didn't see that coming. Right. But you, that's why I think you look at the rest of that staff and you, you may say, I don't know right now, Tristan Stevens. Pete Hansen, and when you have to go to the bullpen and bring in Tanner Witt and and Cole Quintanilla, I mean Cole Quintanilla. We're not even talking about Cole Quintanilla. This guy has improved his slider so much that he's he's top two on the team in ERA. And you know he's a six nine guy. He's he's imposing. He didn't have the confidence in the past. Now he walks out there like he owns the place and could easily be the closer on this team, but they've relied on him and Tanner Witt. When they get in a bad situation, a inning's about to go crooked and the bases are loaded and Pierce has to bring someone in, he's been going to Tanner Witt and to Cole Quintanilla. So um, that's that's good stuff. I mean, when you have multiple guys that can, can help you in situations and you have speed on the base pass with, Eric Kennedy and Mike Antico and, and Mitchell Daly, you're putting pressure on the other team and the defense has been so good for Texas that you, you almost take it for granted and you should never take it for granted. Cause we, heck, we remember just in the last couple of years, games that got away from them because of errors and throwing errors infield, throwing errors. And yeah. so that kind of stuff you don't see that with this team. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch and I think they believe right now.
1: I agree too. And this is um, the Texas had 13 total players recognized for the all big 12 team, which is the most since 2005 for Texas, which was when uh, Texas won the, the college world series there. So not saying that's where they're headed, but still, I mean, that, that just shows overall the last time they had that roster, that had that much talent, especially in the conference, I was recognized by the conference, they won a college world series. So I think that, you know, especially Chip, one thing too, is when they start getting, I know that they dropped the game to West, the first game to West Virginia, but to snap out of that and to get a share of the big 12 title when everybody was basically claiming it was TCUs to win, you know, with nobody else and Texas is going to be coming in second place. I mean, that's, I love when I see teams get into that late season type of fire and continue to have that type of mentality, the winning mentality, because that's when it matters the most. I mean, you know, the Big 12 not some scrub baseball conference by any means, but you may face some more, you know, tough opponents um, in the regional, super regional and obviously going into the cultural series. So I feel like having that that type of winning attitude, especially late in the season, is only going to help Texas at this point.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting week in the in, in Big 12 baseball because Texas A&M let go of its coach, Rob Childress, and immediately the focus became uh, Tim Tadlock at Texas Tech. And Kirby Hokut was like, no, 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 and gave Tadlock a lifetime contract, the same thing he tried to do with Chris Beard. Tadlock said yes, so he's staying at Texas Tech, but A&M... Was a was trying to make Kirby Hokut leave Lovick, I think. Yeah. Um, but we will um we'll we'll watch this team. It's funny. David Pierce was asked about the Big 12 tournament. He said, I can't stand that thing. Honestly. He's like, it it doesn't, you know, he's like, we you get more out of playing another series than you do getting into some situation where you know, you could end up in the losers bracket, and then you're getting taxed right before you're going into NCAA regionals, and 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 then what? So the seventh and eighth place teams can have a lucky weekend and and somehow get into the postseason when baseball's all longevity in the entire season. Anyway, but he's like, but if you're asking me about the format, then. Sure. Format's fine. He (laughs) said it's better than the pod system we used to have. So we'll see how Texas does in the big 12 tournament. Augie couldn't stand that thing either, but it, um, it also bailed out Texas one year when they were um, in last place and won it and ended up getting into the postseason. So it every once in a while it it can help, but um, all right, Taylor, you ready for some love it or leave it?
1: I sure am, Chip. We're going to take a quick break here, but we will return with some love it or leave it. And we will get into, obviously, football season never ends here. So we will get into some more football talk here, in addition to acknowledging some of the other sports teams that have been really successful um, in the spring for Texas. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, you ready? I'm
0: ready. You ready? You ready?
1: Yes, sir. All right. My first love it or leave it for you is love it or leave it. The area where the Texas football team needs to make the most improvement is on defense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to love this because as up and down and inconsistent as the offense was last year, they still averaged 42 points. Now they played six periods of overtime. I get it. Um, and there was a defensive, touchdown in there somewhere but the defense gave up um, 28 points per game and that's too much that's too much the leaders of the conference um west virginia oklahoma iowa state were giving up around 20 to 21 points and and texas needed to contain teams like texas tech and, and ou quite honestly you can't be giving up 50 points in those games and and so that's that's a big challenge for Pete Kwiatkowski and and this defense but yeah they need to clean that up by by almost a touchdown in terms of points per game you know Todd Orlando's really good defense in 2017 was right at 21 points and and that's high for the college football playoff, but in the big 12, if you're holding teams to 20.5 or 21 points per game, you're probably in contention for something. So that, that I will love that. How about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you almost have to love it. You know, I think just because with some of the areas on the defense right now, I think are probably the most glaring concerns for Texas. Obviously, I think it can be played out. I think that they, you know, positions can surprise us. But when you have the center of your defense, aside from the defensive line with middle or you know linebacker position, plus, and I still am thinking that the safeties really need to step up substantially before the season starts. And I mean, something's got to click there because that could be a huge huge concern for Texas if both of those positions are both struggling and just aren't clicking with the rest of the defense. So yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. I have to say that the, you know, the team definitely needs to make the most improvement on defense. You mentioned the scoring defense last year. I mean, at one point Texas was on pace to being the worst historical or the worst statistical scoring defense in school history. I think they barely got above the worst one, which I believe was uh, one of the probably strong teams, right? I think it was 2016 defense. Maybe, I can't remember. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, if you're keeping Big 12 offenses, at least in the low 20 rank, you're doing something right. And I think you see that in the Big 12. People like to, you know, blast defenses in the Big 12. However, then you look at a team like Oklahoma go and play other schools and, you know, post-season and they're putting up tons of points. They're not being shut out. So it just goes to show the offenses are so powerful and so potent in the big 12. So having any questions on defense ever in this league can really, you know, make or break a season. So definitely defense is, in my opinion, where it needs to improve.
0: Yeah. Oklahoma last year paddled, uh, Florida 55 to 20 in the, uh, whatever bowl it was. So um and
1: what was Florida's wasn't Florida's defense like one of the top in college football?
0: Yeah, Florida's defense, they um, Kyle Trask was having all kinds of problems. OU they've they've gotten better under Alex Grinch. Mm-hmm. 2 years ago, Lincoln Riley fired Mike Stoops the the in the days following Texas's 48 45 win in 2018 and Lincoln Riley went and got Alex Grinch after that season. In the last two years, OU's defense has gotten better each year to the point where they were just outside. I think West Virginia gave up 20.7 points per game and Oklahoma and TCU were at 21 points per game. So they've gotten better on defense and And that's, that's where Texas needs to take that step with Pete Kwiatkowski. All right, Taylor, love it or leave it. Number two.
1: All right. Number two for you. Oh, I just looked up, I guess Florida's defense wasn't as good as I thought it was scoring defense. They entered that game sixty second in the period scoring defense. So they were giving up a lot before, but anyway, number two is (laughs) Texas is the biggest threat to Oklahoma in the big 12, this upcoming season, love it or leave it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to leave this because I'm not going to disrespect Iowa State. I'm not going to disrespect Iowa State. They got nine starters back on defense. They are just that anaconda that puts the slow choke on you. And and look, they've got the top returning running back in the league, in in Brees Hall, and and so – I know Bijan Robinson could very easily outrush Brees Hall this year. You hope so if you're a Texas fan, because uh, that means you're absolutely in the thousand yard rushing game again. And Texas hasn't had that since 2016. Jamal Charles, or no, Deontay Foreman, sorry. <laughs> um, but it's Iowa State to me. So until proven otherwise and Texas has to go to Ames, I think Iowa State is the biggest threat. To OU for the Big 12 title this year, uh, Taylor. What do you say?
1: I 100% agree. I mean, I know I, I mentioned earlier in the show that Pro Football Focus, you know, ranking stuff came out. They had them tied at 11% to win the Big 12 title. But I think that this Iowa State team. I mean, it could be a. But I hate to. I don't even want to say this because I know I can probably, you know, someone's going to use this back on me if it doesn't play out. But they could be dark horse. He's for the College Football Playoff chip, right. I think. Right. I think if Iowa they win, State, Yeah, right. I mean,
0: if they win the Big 12. Yeah,
1: yeah, and with I mean, all of, as we mentioned, their whole—I mean, their whole team is pretty much <laughs> Like this could be one of those years. You know, it was—it was so cool to watch. Honestly, I know Texas fans probably were not happy to watch it, but like, I love the underdogs, and when an Iowa State under a Matt Campbell type of coach can just surprise everyone and even compete for a big 12 title. And then they're returning pretty much everyone. I mean, unless something really, really falls off for Iowa state this year, I think they could be a dark horse contender for the college football playoffs. So, and I, I can't say that about Texas at this point. So I absolutely agree. I think Texas is probably number two threat, maybe two to three threat, but Iowa state a hundred percent is number one in the big 12 for me um, for Oklahoma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt Campbell, you got to give it to them because as we said, they were the they were the one lost team going in the Big 12 championship game um last year, and they expect to win it this year. And that's that's where Matt Campbell has that program. And I know we say Iowa State, and we're conditioned to chuckle, but Matt Campbell's changing that kind of the way, as we've said before here on the flagship podcast, the way Bill Snyder transformed k-state in the in the 90s so um all right taylor love it or leave it numero trace
1: all right i'm going to give you a chance to talk about the sport that you know chip's a country club kid so we always got to bring this up for him (laughs) but so with that said i will say love it or leave it chip you couldn't get enough of the texas women's tennis team and their five fab five freshmen as they claimed the national championship last weekend.
0: I got to say, I'm loving this. I'm loving it. And uh, Howard Joffe, the, the head coach at Texas, who's been through a lot. He got hired by Chris Blonsky and Steve Patterson six years ago and somehow stayed at Texas. Thank God for Texas until Chris Del Conte could, could get here. Um, and then he lands this outrageous recruiting class with five freshmen: Peyton Stearns, Lulu Sun, Kylie Collins. Um, I mean, uh, uh, Maralou Rap- Rapolu, and and it was fantastic to watch. They they played fearless at the NCAA championships and went up against a Pepperdine team that had four super seniors and. And Texas took them down in dramatic fashion. Don't get me wrong, because they they turned it around. They faced two match points uh, in the doubles point at, at uh, number one doubles, and they they squeaked that out. They needed that doubles point because they ended up winning 4-3. And it sounds like they're all coming back, Taylor. And I'll just say this. the uh, They are picking up uh, two freshmen, identical twins, the Zamarippas, Allure and Bella Zamarippa. I mean, if you don't love those names and those two have already won four, uh, satellite pro tennis tournaments in doubles together, I think it's great that they're going to college, honestly, but Texas loses two seniors from that tennis team. And they plug in those two freshmen who've already beaten, they've already won pro tournaments. This could be a a party that continues on next year, Taylor.
1: I was going to say, do you think this could be the start of something else for Texas women's tennis with the way that the program is right now?
0: Yeah, for sure. Because Howard Joffe is this chill coach who says the right things, but he's not overbearing and he knows how to recruit and his whole staff. I got to give credit to their whole staff because they've, they've done a great job. And now they're the, they're the cool, fun place to be. And that's good timing. You want to be the cool, fun place to be where all the freshmen are like, can I go to Texas?
1: No doubt about it. No doubt about it.
0: Well, thank you, Taylor, for indulging me. I like to think of tennis as one of those grueling, you know, physical, mental, you got to play physical chess with the other person. You call it a country club sport.
1: (laughs) I call you the country club kid. (laughs) It's what I call you. Oh,
0: great. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, no,
1: but I mean, if you—if seriously, Chip has been talking about this tennis team for so long to me that I was like, you know, I, I, not that I don't like tennis. I do. It's just not something I've ever really played. It's not something I've really covered. So that's why I always let Chip talk about it because he knows in, the ins and outs of it. But I mean, he got me excited to be watching tennis, even though we were kind of joking with him about being country club kid. I mean, this is if somebody can get somebody who doesn't watch a sport excited to watch these, you know, especially the highlights, I don't have the tennis channel so I couldn't see everything but the highlights. You know, I think that that just shows that there's something special going on. So I I didn't indulge you a little bit chip for the tennis.
0: (laughs) Well, and the reason I've been talking about them so much is because I figured they had a chance to win that national championship. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So uh, again, kudos to uh, Howard Joffe and the Texas women. All right, Taylor, good stuff, good stuff. Let's do it again next week. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening to the flagship podcast. Get over to Horns 24-7. We've got a little promo special going on. If you're if you're listening and you're not a member of Horns 24-7, uh, two months for a dollar. Come on. That's, that's, just get in there. Get in. You'll love it. The chats, the insider information, all the good stuff. And then um, we sure would appreciate it a five-star review over at iTunes. That would be, our bosses would love us for that. So for Taylor S. oh yeah, and check out the Houston Nut uh, flagship podcast interview this week. It's it's really good stuff. He gives credit to Mac Brown for a bunch of stuff, um, including getting him to stop doing horns down. Check that out. and uh, And then we'll talk to you next week right here on the flagship podcast. Until then, everybody stay safe and keep the faith.